0: Be seated, be seated. All right, how's it going? Good first week? All right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Let's pray. God, we pray for that direction. We pray for your spirit to guide us. We want to fully participate in your kingdom, so we ask for you to do the things we cannot do to give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So the theme last year was why. Start with why. Why do we do what we do? What's our motive? The theme this year is how. (laughs) How. And it's the more practical side, we, we've got our motives, we, we know why we do things, but what does that look like? And I think about that in connection to this very familiar text, it's kind of a VBS text, trust in the Lord, we even have a song, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. But what does that look like? And I don't know what it looks like for everybody, but I'm going to share just a little bit of what it looks like for me. How does this play out in my life? It begins with a life verse. And if you don't have a life verse, I would encourage you to give some thought to that. But my life verse is Zechariah 4 and verse 6. Not not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And the backstory to that goes all the way back to 1998. I had just taken the job as the dean of students at a university in Nashville, and I had I had really trained to do ministry. I'd trained to preach, had a couple of degrees in that, felt somewhat competent in that, but I had a mentor who was in higher ed, and he invited me to come back to the university, and it was really a life transition. And I remember a uh, You know, he's going to send me to get my doctorate and I was going to pursue this different path and try to do ministry in a different context. But I remember vividly in my being back in my office several months in, I'm back in my office and I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm feeling completely inadequate. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Maybe right now. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do? I mean, they, they bought what I was selling. I'd made it through the interview process. I've got a competitive streak in me. And so I had kicked in and I just wanted to win the competition to get the job. Now I had the job and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done? And I remember that feeling of, of being completely overwhelmed. And I was reading at that time, uh, Henry Blackaby's experiencing God day by day. And the reading for that day just happened to be from Zechariah 4 and verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. The context is that the Israelites have been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They are coming back now to Jerusalem. The city is in ruins. Zerubbabel, the king, is charged with with rebuilding the temple. And it's it's too big a job. He is overwhelmed and he's feeling that. And so God sends Zechariah to him with this message. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And those words just jumped off the page and spoke to me that day. And the whole thing that I took away from that is, okay, it's not about you. It's not about your competence or your savvy or your knowledge or your expertise. It really is about reliance on God. And so I've I've held on to that ever since then. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have some competence and some expertise and that you don't work hard, that you don't give it everything you have. But the reality is you just don't trust in that. So that's my life verse, reliance on God. But then, okay, what does that look like? And so there's a life principle that I've adopted. And it's out of that text that we read in Luke chapter 8. That's a day in the life of Jesus. A day where he was harried and pulled upon quite literally. He's in the thronging masses and crowds. He's already performed miracles and now everybody wants a piece of Him. And so, again, how does Jesus, how does He function and not become overwhelmed in those kind of moments? And there's this marvelous story in Luke 8 where you have these dramas that have been unfolding for 12 years that simultaneously come together right there with Jesus. He's in Caesarea, the crowds are great. Jairus has come to him, and it's fascinating, in, in 842 and forty three, back-to-back verses, we find out in 842 that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. She's everything to him. We find out in the very next verse, there's this woman who's had an issue of blood. Other, other writers tell us she, she's spent everything trying to heal her issue of blood. And incidentally, Luke, Luke shares she's had that for 12 years. So these simultaneous dramas that have been unfolding that have consumed these two families. The the only daughter, the precious apple of his eye, she is now sick near death. He's desperate. Here's a woman who's desperate. They both come together and Jesus deals with both of them magnificently. And the principle, the how, how do I live life in the kingdom? How do I experience God's spirit working through me? How can I make sure that he directs my paths? The principle is, pay attention to who God puts in your path. It's that simple. Pay attention to who God puts in your path. We want to be used by God. We want to have lives of meaning. We want to have lives of significance. And we'd love to bless everybody. I'd love to bless every student on this campus. My desire, you've heard me say it, is that you would discover who it is that God created you to be. But the way that plays out, the how is that, is that each one of us, in kingdom pursuit, pay attention to who God puts in our path because I can't touch every one of you. I can't make a difference with every one of you, but somebody can, right? So pay attention to who God puts in your path. And as, as you get up in the morning and you, you s- sanctify your day to God, you invite him into what you're doing and you say, God, please use me today and help me to be fully present, to not miss anything you have in mind for me to be a part of. Help me to pay attention to who God puts in your path. And the way it plays out for me is oftentimes if I see a face once or twice or three times, I'll sometimes stop and say, okay, you know, we've seen each other several times. What is it, Foy? I can pray about for you? I mean, it's that simple. Now, that's kind of life principle, but then it gets more legs. Again, how does that play out? And I have to be real honest with you. For too long, I probably uh, used that principle almost with a Messiah complex, you know, going out, who will I bless today? who's going to be in my path that I can be a blessing for. But the reality is that more oftentimes than not, it's not who can I bless? It's who has God sent to bless me? And that's where kingdom life gets exciting for all of us because we can wake up with the anticipation every day that God might use me to bless somebody or that there might be somebody with a word for me. So here's how it plays out in David's life really quickly. David was a guy, man, after God's own heart. And I was just doing some reading in David and, and several of these stories coalesced for me in the, you know, under the category of, well, duh. Okay. What does it look like when sometimes the blessing is from somebody else? And so there are, there are quickly four little stories from, from David's life. Sometimes God puts somebody in your path and you're supposed to confront them. And for for David, it was when he was on the run from Saul and he goes to the priest of Nob and he's desperate, he doesn't have any food. He's just had his meeting with Jonathan, he's on the run. And that's where they give him the showbread and they gave him Goliath's sword. And he happens to see Doeg the Edomite there, who's one of Saul's servants. He's on some kind of business with God. But Doeg the Edomite goes back and rats out. David and the entire, all the priests of Nob, 80 some guys are murdered by Doeg the Edomite. And one lone survivor comes to David and he says, this is what happened. And David's words are instructive. He said, that day when I saw him, I knew that day when I saw him, I knew. And what will happen if we are trying to live in the spirit, if we're trying to have eyes to see and ears to hear is there will be circumstances. There will be situations where Somebody's in our path. And we need to go ahead and have the courage to have a difficult conversation. Second one for David. David is still on the run from Saul. This time he's been watching over Nabal and watching over his flocks. And now it's sheep shearing time. It's a celebratory time. And times are tough when you're on the run. And so he sends his men up to Nabal and says, hey, it's sheep shearing time, it's celebration time. Ask him if they'll give us a little love and Nabal is rude, and he is harsh, and he says, I'm not going to have anything to do with David. I'm not going to give you any love whatsoever. You know, you're just another rebellious servant. And when his servants bring that word back to David, in 1 Samuel 22, David says, strap them on, boys. That's exactly what he says. Put your swords on. We're going to go do some killing today. And he makes a rash vow on his way up there to Nabal's house. He says, May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if by the end of the day, not every single male in Nabal's house is not slaughtered. Doesn't sound much like the man after God's own heart. But he's got some challenges in his life. But there's a beautiful hero in this story. and Her name is Abigail. Abigail hears about the circumstance. She rushes out to meet him. And essentially, she de-escalates everything and saves the day. And in in the, I think, 25th verse of the 24th chapter, of 1 Samuel, David says, praise be to the God of Israel because he sent you to meet me today. He recognized that God put her in his path, and he put her in his path to save him from doing something rash and something wrong. So sometimes somebody comes into your path to keep you out of trouble. And they may have a word for you. And if somebody gives a challenging word to you, embrace that. The dark story in David's life that we know is another instance where God put somebody in his path. Now, I'm not talking about when he wakes up in the middle of the night and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba bathing. I don't think God put Bathsheba there. Maybe that was the enemy that was doing that, playing that little game. What I do know is, here's the king, he looks out, he sees this beautiful woman, and he sends, the text says, he sends, 2 Samuel 11, verse 3, he sends someone to go inquire about her. And it says, again, he's unnamed this someone, but it says, the man came back and and asked David a question. Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, I'm going to tell you, sometimes it's hard to speak truth to power. And this unnamed person at this moment is doing his best to speak truth to power. And he says, isn't this someone's daughter? Eliam, he's one of your mighty men. Isn't this someone's wife? I believe with every fiber of my being that God sent that man to David too. He brought a word to David. He asked him a question that should have stopped him in his tracks. But as you know, he'd gotten too close to the falls. He'd gone too far in his temptation and he gets swept right over. But God sent that man. And then there's the real obvious one in the very next chapter, 2 Samuel 12 and verse 1. God sent Nathan to David. And so what does it look like for the Lord to direct your path? It looks like having your eyes wide open and watching to see who God puts in your path so that you might bless them or they might bless you. One last story. I've got a dear friend named Steve who's been in recovery the entire time I've known him. And he's taught me a lot about life. People in recovery have an urgency about them and a desperation about them that rest, the rest of us need. We just don't realize sometimes that we need it, right? And so he's a guy that has done a lot of good for others as he's walked out his recovery. And he, was, he tells the time about this, this family member that everybody in the family says, Steve, you've got to talk to him. Steve, have got to talk to him. Steve, have got to talk to him. And so he thought, well, I'll talk to him. If I get a chance, I'll talk to him. And he said he knew there was a family funeral coming up, and so he prepared to have a conversation with this young man who was battling with addiction. And they were trying to think about how to do some kind of an intervention. And he said he even took some notes. and He wrote them on some index cards and had them inside his pocket. And he said, as fate would have it, I'm sitting right behind him at the funeral. And so we've got some chance for dialogue. I've got the cards in my pocket. And he says, I begin to engage him in conversation. And he said, it became very clear, very quickly, that he didn't want anything to do with anything I had to say. And so he said, and I quote, so I left the cards in my pocket. I left the cards in my pocket. Now, the great tragedy of that to me is if we're walking through life, trying to pay attention to who God puts on our path, the tragedy would be if God puts someone in your path and they've got a word for you. Some God puts someone in my path, they've got a word for me, but I'm not ready to hear it. And so they leave the cards in their pocket. My prayer for each of us would be that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear. And if they got the cards in the pocket, they can pull them right out. And we're going to have a delightful conversation about the God who is alive and well and active in this world. Have a blessed day.